0: Exodus chapter 3, as we read this morning, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he is afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you, that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt and shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters so you shall plunder the Egyptians. I like it when I work close to home. When I work close to home, I usually have lunch at home, and I have a better lunch that way. It's not always just cold sandwiches and stuff. Lisa makes me some pretty good lunches, and I get to visit with her for a little bit, and I and I get to sit on the couch and put my feet up for a few minutes, and usually uh, my son Tim will drop me off and, and run and grab some lunch or whatever, and, and then come back, and when he comes in, then it's time to go back to work. You know, there's lots of times where I'm sitting there on the couch with my feet up, and Tim comes in the door, and I'm like, Man, <laughs> but at that point I usually look at Lisa. Well, I guess that's I guess it's time, and I told her I love her, I'll see you later, and off to work I go. Well, I'm not saying that God does the ah oh, man thing <laughs> that he's disgruntled about going to work, but what we do see about God here is is that he's on the move. He's he's going to do something here. Now that's not it's not to insinuate that he's been resting or that he hasn't been active in the world in the past or even right before this. But he's going to get on the move in a very visible way. In fact, remember he had told Abraham way back when he made the covenant with Abraham that this time period was going to happen, that Israel was going to be in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And then God would come and deliver them by a mighty hand. So it all fits within the plan of God. But you know what? Now it's time to make it happen. And so that's what we want to consider here this morning is when God moves. When God gets active, when God does something in our lives, how do we, how do we recognize it? How do, how do we know what to look for? What, what is that like when God moves in our life and in, in, in the world? In this passage that we're looking at here in chapter 3, and we'll dab a little bit into chapter 4, we're going to find five different characteristics of when God moves. Now, the first characteristic we see is that it's always twofold. God is always delivering us from something uh, but not only that, it's also to something else. You know, we've tried to focus on that a little bit. The, the book that we're studying is called Exodus because it's about the exit. It's about the being delivered out of Egypt. But you realize only, only about half of the book is about that. The other part is what he's bringing them to. And remember we talked about how God is both going to deliver His people and then also dwell with His people as He brings them out of Egypt and heads toward that promised land. God is delivering them from Egypt to the promised land. That's what He does. He, he always takes us out of this and to something else. We see that in our own salvation. He delivers us from hell and to heaven. Right? He delivers us from our sin, and to the righteousness of Christ. He delivers us from a life of vanity and emptiness and to a life of purpose and significance. Even in the New Testament, when we look at, oh, remember back at New Year's. At New Year's, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4. You could also look in Colossians chapter 3. Both of those kind of deal with the same principle of our Christian growth. And even within our Christian growth, God is always doing the same thing. He says, let them who stole steal no more but rather let them work so that they can provide, help provide for people in need. He says, those who are lying, don't lie, speak the truth. And it's kind of like changing clothes. He said, I want you to put off these sinful characteristics or, or behaviors in your life, and I want you to put on these better, these righteous characteristics in your life. And so you know what? God is always, when He's delivering us from something, it's always to something much better. You know, that's a good thing to keep in mind because a lot of times we do have things that we want to get out of our life. And a lot of times we try to just quit that thing. It's very hard to just quit something. What you need to do is replace it with something else. Just as God was delivering Israel, Egypt is what they needed to get away from, to get delivered from. The promised land is where they needed to go. You know what? If you've got something in your life that you're itching to get rid of or God has convicted you about that you need to get rid of, Look for a replacement. What is the good thing that God wants me to replace that with in my life? Because whenever God takes us out of something negative, He always has a much more positive thing to put us into. You know, we often talk about salvation as if it's the the end in itself. It's not. It's the beginning. God saved you. That's just the beginning. He saved you for something greater. You know, the word salvation, there's even within the use of that word, there's three different ways to look at it in the New Testament. There's kind of a past, a present, and a future to salvation. You know, sometimes the Bible talks about salvation as something that happened to you in the past. I think of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, for example. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So the salvation that we get, we receive as a free gift from God, but that happens at a certain point in time. It's kind of like what Jesus, remember what Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Well, a birth takes place at a certain time. I had five children, and every one of them, they wrote on a birth certificate to the minute, a certain time that they were born. Well, that's the way salvation is. There's a time, if you're, if you're saved this morning, it's because there's a time in the past where you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're saved. Notice the tense. It says, For by grace you have been saved. These people were already saved that he was talking to. But the word saved or salvation is also used in a different sense. It's used of what we experience in our life as we walk with Christ. In First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, he's encouraging them in their, in their walk with Christ And he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, talking about the Word of God, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So salvation in one sense is something that we're born into. It's something that we experience at a certain point in our life. And after that, you already have been saved. But in another sense, it uses the word as something that we grow up into. Something that we grow in, that we progress within. And then lastly, it's also used of the ultimate salvation that we experience at the very end. When we come to the end of our life or when Christ comes back for us to take us to be His own, it's the salvation that we experience as we go into His presence where we're saved from all the the sinful world and the things around us and all of our sins. We're saved from all of it ultimately when we're in His appearance and we are glorified in that state. Now we find that... An example of that in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, says besides this, you know that time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. We're getting closer to it than that time in the past when I first believed. A good understanding of the biblical word of salvation or saved is that I was saved in the past. I'm being saved now and I'm looking forward to being saved when Christ returns, or I go to be with Him. You see, here's the difference. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we are saved from the penalty of sin in our life. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we're no longer headed to hell. We're now headed to heaven. At that point, we were saved from the penalty of sin. As we progress and we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we get saved daily, increasingly, over the power of sin in our life. We grow closer to God, closer to Christ. We start shedding some of the things in our life that needed to be shed. We start adding some things in our life that needed to be added. And we walk closer and closer with Christ as we go along. There's some theological terms for this. The first one, at the moment of our salvation, is justification. It's a legal term that means now I'm innocent before God. Now I'm justified. The second term is sanctification. Daily I grow closer and closer. The word sanctification means to be set apart, to be made holy. And so I'm growing closer and closer to God as I walk with Him. The very last point of salvation is when we're in God's presence and then we'll be saved not only from the penalty of sin, not only from the power of sin in our life, but ultimately from the very presence of sin. And that stage is called glorification. When our bodies, when we take on a new glorified state and we're with, with God in a sinless condition. Within the word salvation itself, we see that part of it is God's delivering us from something and part of it is God delivering us to something else. And so God always delivers from something and to something. The second thing that we see is that God always connects his people. You notice how he identifies himself to Moses when he first gets Moses' attention, he says, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And then when Moses says, who do I say sent me? God tells him his name. He says, tell him I am. I am who I am. He's communicating to us that God is the self-existent one. He's the only thing that has no beginning and no end. He is the one that exists in and of Himself without any other cause. There is no cause for the effect of God. He is the uncaused cause of everything else. But notice then he does the same thing that he did when he got Moses' attention. He says, this is what I want you to tell the people. Tell them I am has sent you, but tell them that the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see what God is doing? God has taken Moses and he's connecting him to a rich heritage. He's connecting him to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. In other words, this thing that God is going to do through Moses isn't something new. It's something very old. And Moses is finding his place within God's plan that he had told Abraham he was going to do all the way back at the beginning of the covenant. He had confirmed with Jacob and with Joseph. And so God is connecting him. And that's what we see within this whole passage. We see God connecting His people. And Moses is supposed to go down to the elders of Israel and tell them what God's plan is. And then they're supposed to go to the king of Egypt, to the Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. But Israel's to be rallied around, gathered together as God's people, God's nation that he's going to deliver out. And that's exactly how God refers to him. Notice he says, my people. And you know what? That's such an awesome thing. We have even more extensive history that we're connected to than Moses did. Because we look back not just to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We look back to Moses and to David. And then we have the apostles that we think of, too. We just have this huge heritage. And you know what? When you become a Christian, you become part of all that history. It connects you to that. You know, I've often thought that in this church. I, I love this church. You know, I, I was from Washington State before we moved to Minnesota. Nothing in Washington is very old. Seattle, all that stuff. We were, we were like the last place. To, to get pioneered or to get, to, to get populated out there when you're looking at the Pacific coast. It all came from the east uh, straight on across. And so one of the things, when, I remember when I took a trip to the Ukraine, when I was over in Ukraine, the people asked me, they said, well, well, what do you think of Ukraine? I said, it's kind of cool to see buildings older than your country. It's just amazing to me the history that's in this place. You know, One of the things that I like about our church is the sense of history that I feel from it. I remember when we celebrated our 100th year birthday as a church. And I thought, this is super cool. I'm part of something that's been here for 100 years. But, you know, I'm just feeling connected to that. But, you know, we're connected to so much more. We're connected all the way back to Jesus Christ and the apostles. We're connected all the way back to Abraham. We're connected all... To all of this. And that's what God does. He connects His people. In the Old Testament, we see Him connecting people through Israel. Israel was the the people of the covenant where God would use them to reach the rest of the world. In the New Testament, what does God do? Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. He's gathering His people all the time. Connecting His people. And so we get to participate in that as we function within His church. Now, not only does He connect His people, but He also engages His people. This is kind of a cool thing. He's making no bones about the fact that he's the one delivering Israel out of Egypt. He says, look, this is what I'm going to do. But in all of God's doings and all of God's activities, it also engages Moses. Because God says, i got something for you to do too. I'm going to deliver Israel out. I'm going to do it with a mighty hand. He's going to end up bringing ten plagues to plague Egypt to get him to let his people go. But he says, you know what, i got something for you to do in this. And he ends up with something for Moses to do, something for Moses' brother to do, something for the elders of Israel to do as Moses goes to them, and they're, they're all together supposed to go to see the Pharaoh. God engages his people. We see that all down through time. When God wants to do something, he does it through people. He does it through you. He does it through me. God wanted to reach the world? He does it through Abraham. I'm going to take you. I'm going to make you a promise. Then he does it through Isaac, and then he does it through Jacob, and then he does it through the whole nation of Israel. He's going to deliver Israel and he says, Moses, I'm going to send you. Moses is going to get to the end of his life. He's going to see the promised land but not get to go in it. So God's going to raise up Joshua. He's going to say, you're going to lead my people into Israel. And then after the time of Joshua, there's going to be the time of Judges. And there will be 13 different Judges that God will use to deliver Israel from his enemies at different times. People like like Samson and Gideon and Jephthah and Deborah. and. And, and Barak, and, and all these different judges that God is going to use to deliver his people. And then Israel is going to kind of rebel against God, and they're going to say, we don't want judges anymore, and Samuel will be the last one. And, and he'll say, we want a king like the other countries, and so God will give them, kind of give them the one that they want, Saul, and he's not so great, but then God will give them the one after his own heart next, and he gives them David and Solomon, and then there will be other kings after that, and all of those will have fallen very much short of the mark. And then God will send His Son. And He sends His Son to provide the salvation of deliverance for us. So just as He delivered Israel out of Egypt through Moses, God delivers the world, delivers us from our sins through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you know what? It doesn't stop there. Jesus, what does He do? He picks 12 apostles and He sends them to reach the people around Him. So So as He's going to build His church, He tells the apostles, He says, upon you guys, upon this rock... This foundation of the apostles and prophets, I'm going to build my church. And so he equips the the apostles and they are the foundation for this new church. And then they spread out and they plant churches and they lead people to Christ. And then what happens? Those people reach more people and those people reach more people and it comes all the way down to us. You know, let me ask you this. When, When God's going to move in the lives of our friends, neighbors, and family, who's He going to use to do it? Well, I would say holding true to form, He's going to use us. God has used all these. He's engaged all these different people down through the ages in his purposes. And now it's our turn. And so God uses us to do the good things in this world. That's why Jesus told his disciples, first of all, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Later, he told his disciples, You're the light of the world. Now God's lit you for a purpose. Don't get under a bushel. Don't get under a basket. Get out there and let that light shine. You see, God engages his people in his work to be done. You see good things that could be done? Do them. Do them. Probably the reason you see it is because you're the one God wants to do it with. So God engages His people. Then also we see that God equips His people. In other words, He gives them what they need to be able to do the job. And we see this with Moses' response. Moses' response is, I can't can't do it. I don't speak well. I'm not the guy for the job. And and you know, as we look in the passage, we see God answer every one of Moses' questions objections. Everything that he raises to try to get out of doing the job, God answers. And some of them, you look at it as it seems that Moses isn't quite being straight up with God in all things. You know, in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, when Stephen is recounting this history, he says this about Moses. He says that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. In other words, Moses could speak. Moses was eloquent. And Moses was uh, somebody that, that could handle the task. But maybe there's a sense of humility. He doesn't feel like he's up to the task any longer. You remember, there was a time when he knew he was the guy. He must be the guy. Who else would it be other than me? <laughs> he must have thought. Because uh, also in Acts chapter 7, it tells us what he thought. It says well, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand but they did not understand. Remember when Moses went out to visit his people, it said when he was 40 years old, came into his heart to go out and visit his people, the slaves. And when he went out there, he saw a slave being mistreated by a guard. And Moses killed the guard to rescue the slave. It says that he thought at that time that everybody would see the obvious. That here's the guy that's going to deliver us. Look at that guy. He's mighty in speech and in deed. He's been trained in the wisdom of the palace. And what guy is is still one of us, but is in such a position to be able to deliver us? You know, it's kind of like we think sometimes. Sometimes we think that if God saved that athlete, think of the platform that guy would have to share the gospel. If God saved that movie star, if God saved that millionaire, if God saved that, you know what, God don't need all that. You see, we tend to look at some of the things the same way Moses did. Well, of course it's going to be me to deliver these people. Who else? The time's ticking. It's been almost 400 years. I'm right here in the palace. I'm trained. I'm educated. I'm the guy to do it. Who else would it be? God says, Nope. You need some humbling, I think. And so he's rejected. He says in Acts chapter 7, verse 35 and 36, this Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. The man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. You see, Moses had to experience this rejection before he would be a fit Savior. You know, it kind of reminds us of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? A greater Moses. The one that Moses would say, There's another one coming after me. Another prophet like unto me, whom God is going to send to you, referring to Jesus. And Jesus would have to do what? He would have to be rejected. He would be rejected in order to be our deliverer. Moses would face this rejection and then eventually be their deliverer. There's other familiar things as well. Moses was out in the desert and he spends 40 years out in the desert before coming to be their rescuer. Jesus would spend 40 days out in the wilderness being tempted by Satan before going to be our rescuer, our Savior. And so there's a lot of parallels between Moses and Christ, just as there was with Joseph and Christ. But as we see this here, Moses at the beginning, when he's 40, he's like, I'm the guy. I thought all you would recognize that. Now, 40 years later, he's been herding sheep in the wilderness 40 years. That's got to be some mundane, doesn't it? Well, you know what? There is no unimportant job on the face of this earth. No matter how mundane it feels, God will not waste any of your experiences. I have an inclination that Moses probably learned a few things in herding the sheep out in the wilderness that helped him in the next 40 years with the people of Israel. It also obviously humbled him. Now Moses says, I'm not the guy. When he finally says, I'm not the guy, God says, Now you're the guy. You know, that ought to be encouraging. I don't know how many of you I've had come to me at different times and say, I had a friend that raised this conversation or that conversation and I just feel so inept at being able to answer their questions. Oh, well, you're probably the right one to do it. You're, just, you're the Moses in that, guy, in that person's life. And you feel inept? That's okay. Moses felt inept too. The Apostle Paul felt inept. You're in good company. But you see, God is equipping Moses by giving him that 40 years in the wilderness where he's going to learn some things about the wilderness. He gave him 40 years in the wilderness so he could learn some things about himself, I think, as well. And he could be humbled before God. So God is, it's all part of God's process. Okay, also, we see lastly, he challenges his people. And the reason I say this is because God says, look, I'm, I'm leading you from Egypt. We're going to deliver you from Egypt and I'm going to take you to, and he does it twice in this passage, he takes them to a place that's flowing with milk and honey, a broad land, a good land, but notice this land is full of ites, right? The Jebusites and the Hivites and the, all those ites that, are, that you read through the list twice there. But that's going to be the challenge. Now, it's still going to be God that does it, but Israel's going to have to trust. And when things don't look That could happen. They're going to come up, all these people that have just been used to being slaves and then living in a desert for 40 years, and now we've got to fight against Jericho, a walled city. How can this happen? They're just going to have to trust. They're going to have to hang in there. But God is going to leave those challenges in front of them to strengthen them. And so even when they get to the land flowing with milk and honey, this promised land, God's still going to leave some challenges, some things that will challenge their faith. And you know what? He does the same thing with us. When we do a ministry, there's going to be challenges and obstacles that have to be overcome. And we've got to be resilient to be able to build those ministries and to be able to reach people and to be able to share the Gospel. Now, thankfully, we live in a country where we can share the Gospel freely. But there are powers out there that are trying to get rid of that. But we need to be resilient to continue to remain faithful to God. You know, I remember when I went to Bible college. I went to Bible college. Lisa and I packed our bags, got on a Greyhound bus, sold everything we had. Went to Oatana, Minnesota from Seattle, Washington. We had two kids, and she was pregnant with Zach. And we got there, and it was a nightmare. I only decided I was going like two weeks before. We had a big garage sale and all that stuff, and then we get off the bus, and we're tired. Right away, I had to start with the whole signing up for college stuff, because I hadn't done any of that either, because I didn't know I was going very long ago. And so I got there, and I stand in line, and get all the way to the front of the line to find out I'm supposed to be in that line over there, and then come back to this line. And it was getting frustrating, and finally I was just discouraged. And about that time, president of the college walked by, and he said, how are you doing? And I said, not too well. And he said, why? And I told him, I don't even know what line to be in. Maybe I'm not fit for college. <laughs> he says, come with me. He took me with him, and he got me all lined up. He says, okay, now that's the line to go in. Go stand on that one. I went and stood in that one, got my stuff taken care of. Finally, everything's going in the right direction. On the way out, ran into another guy, the dean at the college, and, and he says, hey, how's it going? And I said, you know, it, at first it was, it was horrible, and it was a struggle, but then uh, Dr. Potter helped me out, and everything's going great now. And I said, I just figured it's kind of like the priests, when they go up to the, the Jordan River, when they are finally going to go in the Promised Land, the Bible says the priests have to pick up the ark their most valued possession Get into the river, and when all the priests are in the water, God would part the water. I said, I figure it's just like the priest. I told that guy. You just got to jump in with both feet, and when your feet are wet, God will part the water. And, and I was on cloud nine. Everything's going good. And he looked at me, and he says, yeah, well, just remember, as soon as I got to the other side, there was Jericho. I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. The other side, he was right. So even when God's leading us to the something that He's leading us to, there's still challenges in the earth. Why? That's what strengthens us. As God delivers us from things and to other things, as He delivers us in our salvation, He allows challenges to stay within our life. To strengthen us so that there's something for us to rise up and to meet. To strengthen us in our faith. A faith that is, cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted.